Hello people and welcome back to my podcast episode 3. Here we go, here we go. Uh, don't know. Gonna be weird, I guess. Gonna be weird. Anyway, so I got on with this episode a lot quicker but we're still doing it month after month. Um, a little bit of explanation as a historian, archaeologist, research is really important especially wanting to get my facts right and I was finding it hard to find some of the facts that I needed for this episode. Uh, I just wanted to get everything clear and make sure that it was all right. Um, So one of the people that I was I'm going to be discussing uh, is the whole reason for this episode because I saw it and went that's it that's what I want my episode to be. So I'm going to use this episode to try and flow into the world wars. Uh, But this month we are looking at two very different well-known brands. Unlike the past uh, past two episodes, um, this one is going to be a little bit more funner um, rather than to like fully educate you guys. Uh, The past two have been quite heavy and important so I just wanted that little break from seriousness. so, uh, still going to have some insight though into like business savvy and what to do, maybe not what to do uh, when having your own business or building your own business, but they got to where they were and they've done really well. Uh, so, episode three, three, the, the, episode three will feature two brands, Chanel and Harley Davidson. Uh, but most of the people behind them, so Coco Chanel, um, Arthur, William, Walter, all the brothers <laughs> in Harley Davidson, um, and how they and their brands contributed to the world wars. Okay, so I got here by looking at Coco Chanel, a big brand. You all know it, you all know it. You've got to, right? Um, And I found some interesting things about her. I don't really know what made me look her up in the first place, but very interesting people. She's a very interesting person. Some good bits of history here. So... I was wondering like when I was reading all this why hadn't Chanel actually been boycotted like we do now um like why wasn't she or why hasn't she um and I think it's because one Chanel herself was a really badass businesswoman like she was so good so inspiring and then secondly I found it hard myself to dislike her as a person she was just like just so like powerful an empowering woman um also Chanel itself as a brand is so big it's so big I just I don't think you could boycott that (laughs) very well but why would you anyways and to be honest she'll find out that Chanel didn't even own that much of the company 
So, it all starts in 1883 when Gabrielle Chanel was born in France to a mother and father, like everyone else is, more or less. Um, so she had four brothers, two sisters, and the family lived together in a poor house. Now, poor houses at the end of the 1800s to the beginning of the 1900s were pretty good for those who couldn't afford much, and the government were actually made to like take care of their poor. Uh, in England, uh, you had to, you had to, you had to work or you were punished, but it was only if you could and were physically able to. This was similar in France as well and one of the jobs women had was sewing, um, as I found out in some of the papers that I looked at. Now there's not much documented about Chanel's early life and we'll discover further uh, further on that Chanel liked it that way. <laughs> but we do know that her mother unfortunately died when she was 12 and her dad who was unable to look after all these kids on his own like because they were destitute basically they were so poor. Um, the boys were sent to work on farms and the girls were sent to a convent with nuns. Chanel learned to sew and when she turned 18 and went to boarding school she got a job as a seamstress at Moulin and at night she sang at Café Cabaret. This is where she gained the name Coco. Uh, some believe this was due to a song she liked to sing called Coco Rico. Uh, so people like at the club just dubbed her Coco. I think that's how I'm going to refer to her throughout the rest of the ep uh, this episode, by the way. So she first established herself and her skills as clothes maker after meeting Etienne Balson, a very wealthy gentleman, at the age of 23. His family owned a garment company that provided the French army with their uniforms. Becoming his mistress and moving into the Chateau Royal U boosted her up there more and more. Not saying that sleeping around got her there though, uh, it, it, I think it's obvious so far that she just worked her way up and worked in the right places at the right time. But she did realise that she needed the male connection to like build herself up. Eventually she met and fell in love with Englishman Arthur Capel through Balsan. At this time, she was making hats for the women she met and Arthur saw the talent she had. He helped her open up the sh upper hat shop where, where the higher class women would buy their hats from her. Her shop was Chanel Mode, uh, opened in 1910. It was only when a French actress was seen wearing her hats that everyone was wanting one. Like, how cliche is that, you know? You s I, I fall into that trap as well, to be honest. Unlike Poisson, Capel actually took her everywhere and helped her fully establish herself in higher class society, where she saw the need for a change in women's fashion. Her idea was to make it more comfortable for them. If you know anything about women's fashion in the 19th century, it was tight corsets and layers upon layers to create that wide a wide skirt with a tiny waist. Chanel moved away from that. 
Kapil financed her opening another shop, but this time for the fashion line. She'd been making comfortable clothes for herself already by using old clothes uh, for fabric or even styling it on herself uh, for comfort and Kapil just saw this potential in her. Unfortunately, Kapil dies in 1919, a year after their split so he could marry and she threw herself into her work whilst working through the grief. One thing amongst the many she was famous for was her little black dress in 1926. It's kind of funny because this dress is believed to be made for those women mourning uh, in post World War One, and black has always been a woman's choice of colour in dress for mourning, especially since the Victorian times. I mean, she's still in the Victorian times and you can see Queen Victoria just wearing black after Albert died. Uh, so yeah, she's done that but like up fashioned it and made it more comfortable. Uh, I think this was exactly her aim, to take something already established and change it for comfort for those women. She she wanted to brighten up the women through their looks as well. Like they, she saw them looking so like upset, and of course they're gonna be. And she just wanted something that'd cheer them up, make them feel a lot better about themselves. She succeeded at it really. It's the kind of dress you see on Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's. It's that uh, black. Looks quite. Um, work a day look in my opinion but that's what it was it was that dress so we're going back a few years uh, in 1922 she makes her first perfume with bourgeois perfume through the director Pierre Verheimer and the uh, Theophile Bader she made Chanel number no. 5 with the help from perfumer Ernest Beau which is a mix of a flower essence and animal musk two scents made for the higher and lower class respectively Vertimer uh, helped her found her company Chanel but took 70% of the company that this is what I'm talking about she doesn't she didn't earn much of it like at all so um so Vertimer had 70% uh, then Bader had 20% and then the rest of it, which was 10%, was to herself. This did lead to 20 years of legal battles as she felt she was played, but eventually she does get her percentage ownership increased, but still not by much. She doesn't have sole ownership. What I do like about the bottle itself of Chanel number no. 5 is that it's got such a heartwarming yet heartbreaking story behind it. So Chanel designed the bottle with that square shape you see and then the the stopper thing has the square as well and it's just very square. It's 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 simple, it's elegant and if you don't know it look it up but if you have seen it you'll understand what I'm talking about and it's basically modelled off a cologne bottle it's basically modelled off a bottle that Capel used to have um, his cologne bottle and she just wanted that as her inspiration uh, which I just think is so sad because can you imagine having 
that bottle on your side and it just looking at it and thinking about the, the person that you loved I, the only person that she loved actually um, it despite her many affairs not affairs but like romances uh, this was the only person that she did love okay so that's a bit of her background so now we're, we're here at World War 2 um, so like what part did she play exactly? Well in the 1920s when everything was going for her she met and had a relationship with Duke of Westminster which led her to associating with Winston Churchill. She even liaised uh, with Prince of Wales Edward VIII which is Queen Elizabeth's uncle, Queen Elizabeth II sorry I should point that out, Queen Elizabeth II is her uncle. Uh, so when the war was occurring she was living in the Hotel Ritz which was taken over by the Germans when they occupied France. She was also dating Hans Gunther von Dinklage. She closed down her business and paid her employees off for their safety from the Nazis. A famous quote uh, from this was, now is not the time for fashion and she was right. You know, I love when businesses do this, they understand the extent of what is going on and they just do it no matter what. So she, she did the right thing. At the same time, she was doing everything to protect herself which which is a reason for some of the uh some historians like disgust for her actions uh so documentation found actually links her to being a spy for the nazis um especially using her connections um as that spy to like get through to like churchill and the royal family himself they think that's why the Nazis actually chose her because they knew of this connection. So her codename was apparently Westminster due to her relationship with uh, the Duke of Westminster, uh, but officially it was Agent F-7124. Charges weren't brought against her, but some argue that Winston Churchill intervened, maybe, intervened? Um, into this so that's why she didn't like get charged or anything. Uh, some perks she tried to cash in through having these Nazi links was one to get her nephew out of prison which she did and two to get full ownership of perfume Chanel through the Aryanization policy as Vertimer was Jewish which she didn't. She didn't get it. Um, Wertheimer actually passed his part of the ownership to a Christian friend, which I think is a genius really, um, but still unfair because to be honest it wasn't really his company, she built this up, she did, in my opinion she got played, but she was trying to do and use everything, like, but it was quite bad that she did what she did, but it didn't work, so. Eventually she fled to Switzerland, but she eventually returns back to France where in 1971 she passes away at the age of 87 in the Hotel Ritz. And that's Chanel. I think her past was so hard to pinpoint uh, uh, to because like, to quote Chanel herself, my life didn't please me so I created my life. and. That's why we don't know much and that's why I couldn't say much about her.
thought I said quite a bit in that documentation. My god, that is proof. But yeah, that's Chanel. That's what she did during World War Two and World War One. She was just building herself up and living. So yeah, uh, now we're gonna move on. So, around the same time as Chanel, Harley Davidson was being born. I mean the company, not the people. So around 1901 in Wisconsin, um, we see William Harley and Arthur Davidson built a motor-powered two-wheeler in which they promised Arthur's brother Walter a go. No crash test tummies, just use yourself and your siblings, <laughs> why not? But this is how Walter is actually introduced into Harley Davidson, which isn't Harley Davidson yet, but I'll just refer to it as that for this segment. They don't realise they actually have potential business until 1903 when a friend asked for this new bike they've built. They actually worked out of a shed which had the words Harley Davidson Motor Company on the door. This was the official start date of their company. The guys then introduced another Davidson brother, William, in 1907 who formed the corporation and... Corporation? Corporation is what I meant. Sorry, guys. Corporation and production increased. 150 motorcycles were being produced, so that's how production actually did increase. So going from like one or three until to like 150 is pretty damn good. So in 1909, the guys introduced the V engine, which had two cylinders, uh, which I actually did trademark. The frame had to be changed in order for this new engine to actually work. They managed to sell their bikes in Japan, which makes this their first sale in a different country. Between 1914 and 1921, they had a racing team, which changed their success and they were dubbed Invincible. William Harley was made the chief engineer of the racing department, with William Utterway employed as his assistant. They also introduced the sidecar around the same time and were made available to their customers as well as making the bike suitable for deliveries with a large box thing on the back. I don't really know what it's called but they had that. It's like it's similar to a top box that you see on like modern bikes you know where you can put your helmet or put your shopping or whatever. They basically like had that or like um a delivery box that you see on mopeds uh, from like Deliveroo or Domino's or Uber Eats or whatever. They had that but it was bigger basically. Enough description. <laughs> hope, I hope for you. <laughs> okay I'm so weird, sorry. So the First World War. When the US entered the First World War in April 1917, Harley-Davidson got involved with helping military production. They produced 8,000 motorbikes for the military in 1918 and the colour of the bikes was actually changed to like an olive green, you know, you know, basic military colours. Uh, they changed it to that. Uh, 
so it was suitable uh, and they actually regressed with their lighting so it became a gas light and it had uh, it had blackout lights as well uh, to reduce visibility so they could hide easily from enemy uh, enemy planes you know a bit like when you have blackout curtains as well well not you personally but you know when they had blackout curtains you get me you get me right so it also had a 15 horsepower F head engine making it quick uh, for its time uh, I mean it, it had to it had to be to get away or to get to where they were required quickly uh, just fast was good <laughs> in November 1918 after the war ended and the armistice was signed Corporal Roy Holtz was the first American to enter Germany and he was riding a Harley Davidson just a fun fact for you uh, how did they even become to be used in the war though well this is a slightly interesting side info but it is helpful to our thing so uh, John Pershing nicknamed Blackjack was general of the US Army and was looking to use motorbikes for the Mexican Revolution that was going on they also wanted to be able to catch Pancho Villa a Mexican Revolution general efficiently there's a lot of harsh terrain in Mexico if you don't know so like desert and everything it's just really harsh uh, and it was believed that bikes would be able to uh, would be able to do it would be up for the task for riding on this the only reason the Harley Davidson bikes were used was because it happened to actually be Blackjack's favourite bike I mean clearly they were doing business right to make these types of connections you know and they got like a really good deal through this uh, 8,000 bikes come on guys uh, so what happened to Pancho if you want to know he was actually caught during World War One and yeah that's it he he dies in 1940s so they didn't kill him or anything but yeah interesting uh, so, so yeah during the war too a school was set up for engineers to train them and gain employees to help them in production and development suitable for the military it actually does still exist and it's called the Harley Davidson University uh, so I think that's been running for 30 years now officially but it did still kind of exist um, and yeah they still train engineers I think you can do it online as well but I'm not too sure didn't look into it that much but yeah it still exists <laughs> so bikes were also made for the police as well I don't know if you've seen but uh, like in America they do have police on bikes uh, in modern times well they they were making them in about 1921 uh, in the 1920s 20, uh, 21 you do see overseas dealerships uh, happening in 67 different countries for Harley Davidson and they even have their co uh, catalogue translated uh, into seven different languages so they were doing pretty well uh, and the police bikes they were uh, designed black so like 
things were changed. They had more bikes to sell. They had more places to sell it. It was it was booming. It was booming. Um, half of the bikes they made actually, which was around fourteen thousand, were exported around the world. So yeah, seven thousand. Yeah, that's a lot of bikes. I mean, their company wasn't like huge. So, you know, I mean, Chanel had. 4,000 employees like I think I think these guys did have a lot of employees too but I I couldn't find out how many but still that's all it's a it's a lot of bikes anyway I'm rambling again I'm sorry so everyone knows about the stock market crash and the Great Depe uh, Depression in 1929 you know the Wall Street crash well, many motorbike companies saw their sales drop to the point they could no longer continue as a business. Uh, what's worse is that Henry Ford released his Model T, which actually did hurt Harley Davidson a little, but with the police using their company for bikes and having these contracts, they were able to make a profit enough to keep them going. They also created motorbike trucks so that Western Union and post offices could use them for their their companies as well. As most of you, if not all, will know, the World War II starts in 1939. The Americans don't join it until 1941, so that's a couple of years later. Again, Harley Davidson is used by the military for their bikes, in which a WLA 45 cubic inch flathead was produced exclusively for them. In fact, their production for customers was halted in 1943 and 44, and they focused primarily on building and designing these military bikes. Uh, bikes for customers from 1942 and 45 are really rare. Um, so, the bikes themselves again have the blackout lights, uh, they had a siren as well, and they could even have a windshield added now. Uh, if they so wished. Overall, 88,000 bikes were produced purely for the war effort between 42 and 45. In both 1943 and 45, they received the Army Navy E Award uh, due to the performance of the bikes during the war. Uh, the E in the award actually stands for Excellence in Production of the War Equipment. That's a shorter story, but a bloody good one nonetheless. I mean, come on. I mean, it's so it's so interesting um, that these two companies were existing, like coinciding at the same time, and they had such different stories. Um, I found out about Harley Davidson a lot earlier because I randomly watched this uh, documentary on. A particular bike on this TV show I just thought it was so interesting and I was like wow they did so much for the war effort and I just dove into it so that's my story and how I found out about Harley Davidson um, so um, let's get on with the conclusion So, did you pick up on any comparisons between the two? Because researching and I did find quite a few. 
Well, they both started from nothing. You see Chanel come from a super far poor family, whilst Harley and Davidson worked out from a shed, worked out of a shed, I mean. Um, they also both built up slowly, but they got there to a point where they're making millions. I mean, obviously not now, but the companies themselves are making millions. And they also both had connections that boosted them up a little bit more and even helped them out. Chanel had more connections as we can see, um, but they both used them to their advantage. The war effort actually helped them too. Despite Chanel being associated with the Nazis, she needed these connections to help her family and her business, or try and help her get her business back. Uh, the connections between her and Churchill seem to have helped her too, but that's all speculation. That's not like proven or anything, but I do think Churchill did help get her out from getting into trouble. Um, whilst Harley, Harley Davidson produced so many bikes for the military and the police that it kept them afloat when the Great Depression rolled around and the competition was thriving. Uh, no matter how they got there, they formed massive brands that are still booming today. I think it's amazing and super interesting modern history. They, they just did it uh, so well. So, I was also asking why wasn't Chanel boycotted due to what she did? I did discuss that a little bit in the introduction, but let's reflect back on this. So, for one, it wasn't that bad what she did. Right, it's it's not good. I'm not taking away from that. She didn't, but she didn't kill anyone. She just associated with the wrong people to get ahead. Uh, she even associated with the right people as well. Or to us, it's it's the right people. Um, she also didn't earn most of the company. She earned the least of it. Um. Although documentation, uh, documentation was found, she was interrogated and let go for these crimes, so she wasn't even prosecuted for the association at all. Uh, there was also as much association with the British royal family as I've said, uh, and with Churchill, um, but not as a spy, but as friends. They, were, they had some form of relationship. Um, unlike other brands as well, she wasn't the worst at all out of them. Bad decisions, yes, but bad actions, not really. Bad actions is using modern slavery to produce your product. I wish I had talked about that more in my last episode in all honesty because that is super modern history but that's still history. Um, but yeah. She wasn't that bad. Don't you think she was like so badass as well? I mean, not using the Aryanization policy, I do not agree with that, but like badass in general, like trying so hard to get her the increase in her business, which she does. I think it's boosted to like 20% instead of 10. It's still not a lot. She still doesn't own most of it, but yeah she gets it and that's all folks two successful inspiring companies with equally inspiring people
this new, no music for this so you know that is the end and if you don't want to listen you don't have to uh, just a couple of thanks um, so to the Harley Davidson website itself, Wikipedia, Motorcycle Cruiser, Daily History, History of Harley Davidson video that I found on YouTube, didn't know who that was by but it's on there, it's pretty interesting. Um, biography both on YouTube and their website, JD Ryan at Mental Force, Draw My Life, Alux.com, Business Casual, Business Insider, Business of Fashion, Hal Vaughan and John Weiss. Uh, thank you. I used you guys as a contribution to my research and to this um, episode. So thank you. I know it's a short one, but yeah. Thanks for listening, guys, and have a safe time. Bye.